Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Boy, if you're here your first time, we appreciate you stepping out. I know that's sometimes hard to walk into a newer place. And if you're joining us online, we appreciate that too. So a couple days after Christmas, Hope and I went to visit a college friend in San Antonio, and our travel went great. Here to Houston, Houston, San Antonio, this is perfect, until we got our luggage and went upstairs to the rental car area. We stepped in, we thought, this is chaos. There are all kinds of lines going every which way, and it's, I, think we, I think we were Alamo, I don't know, but is this the line for Alamo? Yeah, it is, and so... We were in there over an hour, and, and I'm watching some of the, the interaction at the counter, and it, it's long, and it's involved, and one person steps aside, and she's on her phone, and she's trying to get back, and I'm thinking, lady, I want my turn. What is, what is, we worked our way up, and we asked, what, what happened here? She said, the lady behind the counter said, well, you know, Southwest canceled all those flights, and everybody's trying to get a car to get home. And we're understaffed, we didn't know this, and we don't have enough cars, and so it was chaos. That's not a good feeling when you want to, we're so close to seeing my friend, but we can't get a car. But isn't that how life goes sometimes? It's going good, and you step in, and it's like, I just stepped into chaos. How did that happen? More importantly, where's God in the midst of our chaos? And that's what I want to talk about today. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open that to 2 Samuel, chapter, uh, yeah, chapter 16 and 17. We're going to finish chapter 16 and go through chapter 17. Wrestling with this question, where's God in the midst of our chaos? Now, I can't, uh, I can't overemphasize how chaotic David's life is right now. Um, in, on a moment's notice, he was forced to run, to flee from Jerusalem. Because of his past sin, he um, was not in a public place. Too ashamed to show himself. And all the time, his son is cultivating people. And all of a sudden, a coup happens. Now, David had been named king. Uh, Israel had been transitioning from a loose federation of states to um, a monarchy. Saul was the first king. He didn't do well. David was supposedly the man after God's heart. And for a while, he flourished. But he kept compromising one thing. He kept adding wives. And the, the, the word of God said, Deuteronomy 17, 17, long before Israel entered the promised land, don't, Kings don't multiply wives. Well, David kept doing it and finally caught up with him. He had an immoral relationship. Um, he tried to cover it up. When that cover-up didn't work, he committed murder. Um, the prophet Nathan said, you're going to have consequences. God has forgiven you. You will continue as king. But th that child you conceived will die. The sword will never depart from your house. And to this point, we have seen that there has been uh, rape between a half-brother of a half-sister. Uh, David did nothing to bring about justice, so uh, another brother took it into his hands, and he, he murdered that brother. Uh, Absalom then, the murderer, flew, uh, fled to Geshur. Um, after a while, David brought him back, but uh, the relationship was never right, and, and last week we saw it. Absalom began cultivating people, and, he, and he's led a coup, and we're in the middle of the coup right now. So that's where we pick it up. Uh, things really chaotic for David, starting in verse 15. It says, Then Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, entered Jerusalem, and Ahithophel with him. If you weren't with us last week, Ahithophel is a highly regarded counselor, strategist, if you will. And he was David's counselor, but when Absalom led the coup, he flipped sides. Uh, David got word of that, and he prayed, O Lord, thwart Ahithophel's counsel. 
And then he sent Hushai, David did a friend who was leaving with him. He said, I need you to go back in. And I need you to play the part of a double agent. I need you to be part of my spy network. And I need you specifically to thwart Ahithophel's counsel. So we get reintroduced again in verse 16 to Hushai. It says this, Now it came about when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king! Long live the king! Uh, Absalom's immediately suspicious. He says to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? I mean, you, you were just the King David's friend. Why did you not go with your friend? Then Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord, this people, and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and with him I will remain. Besides, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son? As I have served in your father's presence, so I will be in your presence. Simply put, Hushai's a double agent. He says, Absalom, yeah, I'm with you, man. I, I, I'm done with my dad. I, I'm with you. But the whole time, he's been, there to, he's been sent by David to thwart Ahithophel's counsel and be part of the spy network. He's pretending to be favorable to Absalom, but he's really working for David. Verse 20, then Absalom said to Ahithophel, give your advice, what shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines. Now, concubines were wives that didn't have the legal status of being a wife. Go to those women whom he has left to keep the house. Then all Israel will hear that you've made yourself odious to your father. The hands of all who are with you will also be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. So what's going on is Ahithophel says, man, we, we need to know there's no turning back here. So your, your father left 10 or so concubines. We're going to pitch a tent on the roof of the palace. They're going to go in. You're going to go in. We're going to assume people know what's going on. Sleeping with a concubine or a wife is tantamount to taking the kingdom. All Israel will know. There's no going back. Is, uh, Absalom is claiming the throne. Now, when Nathan the prophet came to David to confront him of his sin. David said, I've sinned. And they said, you know, God has restored you, he's forgiven you, but you're going to live the consequences. One of the consequences is going to be uh, that baby you conceive will die. Two, the sword will never depart from your house. But there was another consequence. Here's what he said. So this is Nathan speaking. Thus, thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, in this case, son, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. This is what's going on. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this before all Israel and under the sun. Fulfillment of the prophecy. David, you have an illicit relationship privately. That's going to happen publicly with your wives. That's a fulfillment of this prophecy. Ahithophel is setting the groundwork so Absalom can take the kingdom and there will be no turning back. Verse 23, we get a comment on Ahithophel. It says, The advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one inquired of the word of God. When Ahithophel spoke, it was as if God was speaking. So was all the advice of Ahithophel regarded by both David and Absalom. Now, some of you know this, many of you maybe don't, but we work as a ministry team of seven here, and we have various roles. And the six of us would agree 
The person who fills this role on our team is Julie Horn. I mean, back me up on this. When this woman speaks, it is as if God is speaking. We, we've come to realize that. So if you need some spiritual counsel, you go see Julie. Now, I've got to be honest, a couple months ago, I mean, she was so right on and stuff. I, I just said, Julie, man, could you, maybe could you help me with my investment profile? And she said, Andy, you can't serve God and mammon. I only do spiritual. I don't do the material. So, if you approach, so don't be asking Julie about the line in the Huskers game next fall. So we have our own Ahithophel. Speaking of Ahithophel, chapter 17, verse 1 says, Furthermore, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Please let me choose 12,000 men that may arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and exhausted and terrify him so that all the people who are with him will flee. Then I will strike down the king alone. So make no, make no mistake. The plan is for David to die. And what Ahithophel is saying is, give me 12,000 people. This guy's on the run. I'm not, I'm not trained. I don't have any military training. But it makes sense to somebody. If you got surprise, if you got the element of surprise, push that. That's what Ahithophel is saying. Give me 12,000 men, and I will go, and I will take David out, and we can end this thing. And we don't have to have a big, bloody civil war. It can be a surgical strike. The people are terrified. And then, then verse 3, and I will bring back all the people to you. There's not going to be more bloodshed. Then return, the return of everyone depends on the man you seek. Then all the people will be at peace. David needs to be dead. If this thing's going to happen, David needs to die. So the plan pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. However, verse 5, then Absalom said, now call Hushite the Archite and let us hear what he has to say. My question is why? If you've already established that when this guy speaks as the counsel of God, why? Why are you calling him? It's widely recognized. David recognized, Absalom recognized it. Why? Well, we'll answer that why in a few verses. So, verse 6, when Hushai had come to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Ahithophel has spoken thus, shall we carry out his plan? If not, you speak. What do you think, Hushai? Does this seem like a good plan? So Hushai said to Absalom, this time the advice that Ahithophel has given is not good. Huh, interesting for someone you said speaks for God. But Moreover, Hushai said, you know your father and his men, that they are mighty men and they are fierce, like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. And your father is an expert in warfare, and he will not spend the night with the people. Behold, he has now hidden himself in one of the caves or in another place, and it will be when he falls on them at the first attack that whoever hears of it will say, there's been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. And even the one who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will completely lose heart. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man and those who are with him are valiant men. So the, this, this guy's trained as a warrior. He's got valiant men, so that's a bad idea. Here's what I suggest, then starting verse 11. But I counsel that all Israel be surely gathered to you from Dan even to Beersheba. So that's really from north to south. We're going to get a big honking army here. We're going to recruit from north to south as the sand that is by the sea in abundance and that you personally go into battle. Bad idea. So we shall come to him in one of those places where he can be found. And we will follow him as the dew falls on the ground. And of him and of all the men who are with him, not even one will be left. So this is going to be a slaughter. Ahithophel was a surgical strike. This is going to be a slaughter. If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel shall bring ropes to the city. And we will drag it into the valley until not even a small stone is found. Then Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushite the Archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. Are you crazy? Are you kidding me? They're not going to take advantage of surprise. They're going to wait. We're going to gather a big army, and we're going to go, and we're going to outnumber them. 
we're going to give up the element of surprise. I think that's a bad idea. But Absalom and everybody gathers it. Why? Second part of verse 14. For the Lord had ordained to thwart the good counsel of Ahithophel, so they might, the Lord might bring calamity on Absalom. People are at work here. David set up a spy net. Remember we said he's not passive. He prayed, Lord, thwart Ahithophel's counsel. But then he said, Hushai, you, you go serve as a double agent. You speak against that. And beyond reason, Absalom buys the counsel of Ahithophel. And David's going to have time to regroup. Verses 15 to 20, I'm not going to read. I'll let you read them on your own. It's the story of the spy network at work. It goes from Hushai to the two priests, Zadok and Abiathar and their sons. And they almost get exposed. But an everyday Sally, a typical common woman, um, hides them. The word gets to David. And in verses 21 and 22, David acts on that. It says, it came about after they had departed that he came up out of the well and went and told King David. And they said to David, arise and cross over the water quickly for Ahithophel. For thus Ahithophel has counseled against you. Then David and all the people who were with him arose and crossed the Jordan. And by dawn, not even one remained who had not crossed the Jordan. So, so David gets out of Dodge. Well, word gets to Ahithophel, verse 23. It says, now when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and arose and went to his home, to his city, set his house in order, and strangled himself. He hung himself. Thus he died and was buried in the grave of his father. Why did he do that? Because he realized... Time to get David was right now. Absalom was not experienced enough in that David would win this and then Ahithophel would be guilty of sedition <laughs> and be executed as a traitor so that he'd just take matters into his own hands. It's life. Um, verse 24 to 26 are the story of Absalom and his army. I'll let you read that in your own. Uh, 20, verses 27 through 29 um, are people who resource David's army. They, they give him food and they, they, they take care of him. Man, they're, they're on the run right now. They've been taken by surprise. What's going on? David's in chaos. One day he thinks he's king and then, man, man, the hearts of the people with Absalom, let's go. And he's on the run. God is sovereign, but he's using people. He's using Hushai. And he's using Zadok and Abiathar and their two sons as part of a spy network. He's using a, a woman who gets pressed into service and hides these people in a well when Absalom's people get word of it. And God is using people to resolve David's chaos and, and to bring about his purposes for David. David will be king. And he's flawed, flint king. And, and David's reign will continue and it, it will be an eternal reign. It will eventually end in Jesus. And, but it's in trouble right now. It's in chaos. But God is working through people. So we ask this question, where's God in the midst of our chaos? Here's the deal. Well, we find out God is graciously working through people and circumstances to accomplish his good purposes in our lives. God is graciously working through people and circumstances to accomplish his good purposes in our lives. I want to talk about Jesus and his chaos in just a moment. But before I do that, I want us again to, to think about how did we get here? David 
lost the moral authority to lead his family. And when there was rape and when there was murder, he did nothing. As a result, chaos ensued. And now he has a son who wants a throne and wants to kill him. If you're a parent, we have been given a special role to shepherd our kids. And, and we're given a position of authority. But I want to remind you, your, your kids are vulnerable. They have no earning power. We need to be sure we're, we're parents that are just and fair. I say that because I was raised by a dad who controlled with anger. And I look back on it, it was really, really unfair. When we were 8 and 10 and 12, what are you going to do? You take it. So I finished my freshman year at Texas A&M, coming home for the summer, I'll be working. And my dad meets me in Houston, meets me at the foot of the driveway, and he says, Andrew, I've taken a job in New York City. We're going to be moving to New Jersey. Um, we'd love to have you come and go to Rutgers, but we understand if you want to stay at A&M. And I bite down on my left because I thought, there's no decision here. You're going to be 2,000 miles away. And honestly, I'm relieved. That was 18 years of controlling with anger. I tried to maintain and honor my dad, but a, a relationship? It made me think, if I'm ever, ever a parent, I want to make sure that I'm fair with my kids. So when they were little, I'm talking five or six, I'd take them to McDonald's, and we'd chat about this and other, and I'd say to the boys, and I'd take them individually, I'd say, you know, God has given mom and dad a, a position of authority in your life, but I, but I want to make sure we're fair. Are we being fair? Are we doing stuff that you think is wrong? At least, I don't know they can do anything about it, but if I don't know about it, I can't. So, so, so tell me. And, and they'd bring stuff up, and sometimes I could do something about it, sometimes I couldn't. But I wanted to make sure I wasn't abusing power. Boy, if you're a parent and you're just starting out, I think about that. You know a great side benefit of that fact is? Now, both boys are out. They're 21 and 24. They're living on their own. But since we're in the habit of doing meals together, we do it every week. Just to get together. And it, it, the, the relationship continues. Parents, if we'd be intentional about, with our kids about relationship, that perhaps we won't end up in a conflicted child-parent relationship, which is what we've got right here. And because of it, David's in chaos. Now, some of you, some of us may be in chaos and may have nothing to do with our relationships that may be beyond our control. I think it's good to remember that we serve a Savior who understands chaos on earth. He's not far away. He's not up in heaven. No, no, no. He walked here, and he knew chaos. And I can point to a lot of uh, demonstrations or examples of Jesus' chaos, but none more than the last week of his life. He comes in to Jerusalem, and this is how the crowd meets him. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And what were the people saying? The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed he is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That is a declaration of royalty. We're believing, Hosanna, we're believing in this guy. It's not a matter of four or five days that the tune changes. Jesus, in a mockery of a trial, has been brought before Pilate. And Pilate said to them, the crowd... What shall I do with this Jesus who is called the Christ? Now, now these are the people my brother saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, lay in prayer. Uh, they all said, crucify him. 
Go ahead. And he said, well, why? What evil has he done? They didn't want to hear it. They just kept shouting all the more, crucify him. Friends, that's a big change. In a matter of four, that, you talk how chaos comes on you? Hosanna. Blessed he who's come in the name of the Lord to crucify him. Jesus knows chaos. So we serve a Savior who understands. And he wants to walk with us. So I want to ask, what's your chaos right now? What's going on? Is the doctor's report, is it a job? Is it a relationship that you just can't, what, what is it? God is sovereign in that, but he's using people to walk you through your chaos. Who are those people? That's what we talk about being a relational church, being in small group, being in community, that we have these kind of relationships. Two or three days after Christmas in 2020, we thought our father, my father-in-law would be moving from northeast Alabama to Shreveport, Louisiana, where Hope's sister uh, ran a, a nursing home, and he, he would live there. And in fact, on a Saturday, the trailer was packed, and he would be pulling out Sunday. But they, they noticed a little bit of fluid on his lung, and maybe we'll get, I'll get that looked at. By Sunday afternoon, he was on a, in an ambulance headed to a hospital. By the time my, life, my wife left on Monday to go to Alabama, he was unresponsive. In a matter of 36 hours, we're moving to, he's not going to recover. It took three days. I have never, she's in Alabama. We're talking every night. I've never been so grateful to have friends who I took out my phone and I said, this is what's going on. Will you pray with me? And we were in COVID. We couldn't be together. But to know there are people that are, I'm not alone, that are walking with me. And it was a three-day period. I think he passed away New Year's Eve. I think it was on a Thursday. Who are the people? When you step into chaos, that you can, because God's going to use people in chaos, in your chaos, to walk you through it. Who are those relationships? Who are those people? Well, let me flip it. Who are the people that are going through chaos right now that God wants to use you to step into their life, to love them, to encourage them, to listen to them? Who is it you need to make contact with? People. <laughs> your friends, your family. I don't know them. By name. They're in chaos. I, I, I promise you, somebody is. How does God want to use you? Life's chaotic. It changes fast, doesn't it? Did for David. And in the midst of that, God is working through people and circumstances to accomplish his good purpose in David's life and in your life. I read this from a pastor named Lee Eklov. He talked about the, the, the importance of the flag bearer in the Civil War. And he was real specific. Uh, uh, third day of Gettysburg, Cemetery Ridge, really critical battle. Uh, flag bearer of the 19th Infantry of Massachusetts was a young man named Joseph H. Castro. And the, per, the, per, the person holding the flag, he just needed to be there. <laughs> he needed to keep that Hummer up. I've just seen reenactments of Civil War battles like you do, but, and it, it's chaotic. 
We need to know where our regiment is. Where do we stand? And that flag bearer, you stand there, you're defenseless, and you keep that thing up so the other soldiers know we haven't quit. We're still going on. Well, they were locked in a battle with the, the 19th Infantry of Virginia. And one flag bearer comes on another, and Castro takes his flag and, and knocks the guy out, takes his flag, runs it back to his commanding officer, and goes back to his position. So those soldiers could know in the chaos, we're still, this is who we are. This is where we are. No wonder in the Civil War, they sang the song, Rally Around the Flag. Rally Around the Flag. Well, I'd say we rally around Jesus. In the chaos, he's there. He's immovable. That's where we look first. He understands chaos. He's done chaos before. That's where we start. But then we wonder, who is Jesus' provision for us in our chaos? Or how does Jesus want to use us in somebody else's chaos? Because you see, we're, we're asking this question, where's God in the midst of our chaos? Here's the deal. He's graciously working through people and circumstances to bring about his good purposes. That we'd be engaged with him wherever we are, experiencing our own chaos or walking with somebody else. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful that um, you know chaos. You did chaos. It's not an academic study to you. It's something you've walked through. And you don't leave us alone. First, you give us yourself. Like that banner hanging in the battle, you're there, immovable. Remind us, you're sovereign. But then you're marshalling your body, your troops, if you will, to step into chaos. Call us to step into somebody else's. Lord, thank you that we're not alone. They have you, and we have your body. Lord, I pray now for those who are in chaos to know the assurance of your, your presence and your people. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.